Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. You know, sometimes when we think of connection, we're reminded of things like synchronicity, coincidences, and how random events around us seem to be mysteriously interconnected. How does that perfect opportunity emerge at that perfect time? How do people and things show up in just the right way, right when we need them? Is a synchronicity, coincidence, luck, or perhaps the universe responding to our call? When we live in flow, a state of activity in which we align with our purpose and values, balancing our personal good with the greater good, we make choices that literally invite synchronicity. Cultivating flow can empower us individually as well as help make our world a better place. How? Well, what if the cosmos is designed to bring us meaningful, synchronistic experiences in response to the choices we make? Are you ready to live in that flow and create a more beautiful world? I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Sky Nelson Isaacs is a physics educator, author, and musical performer. His writing and teaching uncovers the potential science of synchronicity and flow. Sky helps individuals and organizations live in flow, transforming the world from the inside out. Welcome to the show, Sky. Thank you so much, Julie. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you. It's fun. As soon as I saw the title of your book and um, was presented with this opportunity to invite you on the show, I was I was so excited. Not only because I love the topic of flow and people are really learning more and more about synchronicity and flow and what that means for the universe, but because of the science of how we are now really able to bring a lot of that science together and in. But before we get started and dig into all that, I have a traditional first question here on the Dr. Julie Show, and I want to begin with that. Can you share with our listeners, what is all things connected mean to you? It's a great question. I love that question. There are two ways I'd like to answer that. One is with the science aspect. The, the work that I'm doing in the academic world is trying to understand space and time at a deeper level than we know. I mean, we, we understand it pretty well now, but there's, there's things in the foundations of what we know that are still missing, still fundamental questions we haven't answered. And one of those questions has to do with the timelessness that I, that I suggest exists or it's hard to describe it because anything you try to describe something that doesn't have time, you run into problems because we're in time. But light itself moves through the universe without time associated with it because of the laws of special relativity. 
and it's hard to describe it, but we do have to find a way to understand what it, what it means for light to travel from a distant star to us and yet have no time really be associated with that process for the light between the, the emission from the star and the absorption by us looking at the star. So, so light is this timeless entity. And when you look at the world in that way, um, the, the process that I think shows up is, is from holography called the Fourier transform. And in this way, all of physical space is intermixed to create this sort of informational space in which light exists. And there's no separation in that because space and time are both not even represented in that space. So there is a representation of the cosmos that we live in, which is not space and time, which is not physical, but is informational in which all of you and I are both intermixed and represented in, in an energetic way or an informational way. So in that sense, uh, we are all connected. There's no separation. And the other sense that I think is really important is that at a personal level, when we dive into flow, when we allow life's synchronicities to guide us towards what is our next step, that next step is about healing. I keep finding in my life that synchronicity shows up to guide me towards another step of healing for myself. It's not external things it's after, except in, if it's in service to something I need to learn about in myself and grow. And as you say in your mission, to, to become a more fully expressed as whole in a world that works for everybody. So I think a, a key element of this process is helping us heal ourselves. And when we do that, for me, my, my own growth process in the past few years has really been about connecting with other people and opening vulnerably to others in my life and in the world in a way that I wasn't able to do before. And flow has helped me do that. Mm. Brilliant. Sky, thank you. I, I appreciate really both of, of those pieces. And the first reminds me of Jude Curvan and all the amazing work she's gathering in the science of information with, with the Cosmic Hologram and her next book that's coming out as well. But So thank you for that. And I love the idea that flow and synchronicity and, and everything we're going to talk about today is really this next step about our healing and coming together as whole. Brilliant. So I hope we, I hope we pull more of those threads mm -hmm. together in this conversation because that, that is a, a unique and beautiful response that I think is very worthy of expanding on. But first, let's begin with a bit about you uh, because I'm really curious how you got so interested in synchronicity and flow and what your story is. I know that, that you've studied physics and, and that you teach it, but what about this specific topic really caught your attention as had you put so much time, energy, and, and, and no time, no energy, like when we're looking about this. <laughs> yeah, but really, this, this book is incredible, and I, I really appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about your story. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, you know, from early on, my, my real motivation in life from as a kid was to understand life, understand what am I doing here. I had a lot, of, um, a lot of various experiences like we all do. Some of those experiences at a fairly early age involved um, things that took me out of my normal consciousness. And my parents exposed me through a spiritual teacher to meditation early on. I, did, I didn't have a meditative practice until I was really a young adult because I didn't have the discipline for that. But I, I had certain, a lot of experiences that really showed me different ways of looking at the world. I was also born into a family where I had uh, different 
really different family relationships. I, my parents separated when I was really young and they stayed in the same town. So I, I lived with both families and I had five brothers and sisters in between the two families of all different ages, some boys, some girls. And, and so in a way I ended up being the, sometimes the oldest child, sometimes the, the youngest boy, sometimes the middle child, depending on who was around and which family I was at. And I really, and the families were pretty different. So I, I ended up feeling like I had took a sort of a meta perspective on life and wanted to understand the, the real meaning of life's experiences. And I gradually got interested in, I was a musician early on, but I also got interested in physics through a series of coincidences in, in college. And that really resonated, that exploration of the deep levels of the cosmos really resonated with my own search for what the meaning of life's experiences. And in my 20s and 30s, I had more and more experiences of synchronicity, and I began to identify them as that. So experiences, um, like I'll give you a quick story. I was with my daughter, uh, she was probably five years old, at the hardware store. And I was looking for a uh, sprinkler head to cap off one of the, the sprinklers in my garden, or to, to, to to lessen the water flow in it so I could reclaim some of that water pressure. And so I'm looking at all the shelves and there's all these things to choose from. And my daughter's on my side kind of making noise and being a little bit rowdy. And I'm kind of thinking, I just got to keep her quiet for a minute longer so I can find what I need and get out of the store and get home, solve my problem. I got this vision of solving my problem that's controlling everything I'm doing. And finally, I stop and pay attention to her for a second. And she's looking at me and she says, what about this, daddy? And I say, honey, that's the wrong thing. It's not what I'm looking for. It's a sprinkler cap. It's not a sprinkler head. But wait a minute. It's a sprinkler cap. And I thought to myself, well, maybe that's a better solution because I could actually, I didn't need that sprinkler head. I could just cap it off and get all the water pressure back. So I, I looked at it and it was the right threads. It was the right brand. It was going to work just right. And I asked her where she got it. And she said it was sitting on the shelf just in between two other bins by itself. So somehow somebody had put it there when they were looking for something, left it there for her to find, for her to give to me. And if I hadn't have paid attention to her, I would have been stuck in my own process of trying to find what was right on the shelf and getting more stressed out and worried about, about uh, whether I'd make it out the door. Hmm. So these kinds of experiences showed me how to sort of back up and look at life a little more broadly in the moment. I love that. And so you mentioned the word coincidence, and is it a coincidence? So let's define that, because you define in the book the difference between synchronicity and flow as opposed to coincidence and that traditional cause and effect kind of thing. So let's define that. What, is, what does synchronicity mean to you, and, and what is flow? Well, let, let, me, let me give a big picture of why I think it's really important, and that will lead into the definition of synchronicity. I think that living in flow teaches us to start where we are. And I think that most of us misunderstand life most of the time, in a way. We, we might not be able to see our experiences clearly on a daily basis. And so when we can't see our experiences clearly, we might hear someone's comment as a criticism and try to defend our, our point of view. But if the comment is coming from the flow itself, how can it be a criticism? So I think life, coming back to this perspective of healing, life is trying to uh, unpack our inner emotions and get them on the table so we can be free, mm. so we can live fully uh, expressive lives. But our tendency is to try hard not to do that. Life is trying to show us vulnerability, intimacy, transparency, 
authenticity so that we can get to being authentic and free in our lives. So at the times when we do see clearly, and here's the key point, if, if, if I think much of the time we don't see the world and our experiences clearly for what they're really trying to show us, the times when we do see clearly and we act accordingly, like when I stopped and looked at my daughter and really looked at what the situation was trying to show me, I think that heaven and earth move in response to that commitment, to that clarity. And that's what I call a synchronicity. And it shows up like every time we get clear on what we're doing in life and we, we align with what's really going on in our lives, synchronicity shows up. Circumstances show up which might seem unusual or unlikely, but these circumstances precisely lead to the outcomes and experiences we're seeking to have. So that's my definition of a synchronicity. I like that. When, the, when I was listening to you, I was thinking of um, how often many probably sit back and wait for that one great big gigantic moment of synchronicity, <laughs> you know, like we're looking for the miracles, right? We're yeah. looking, and I love your definition really moves the whole conversation into that flow, state as well, because it's like, it's one small moment, small event at, at a time that are, that are about the alignment. And I really, I really appreciate the alignment piece that you talk about first, Uh, but let's, so let's go to that alignment here in a second. But one of the things I really appreciate about your book is that you also talk about the difference between synchronicity and flow as this active process that we're talking about right now, this, um, this really tuning in and aligning ourselves and then just watching and witnessing everything that comes back toward us, this mirroring versus that traditional passive idea that recommends like go with the flow, like sit back and go with the flow because the universe is just going to bring everything toward you. You have this invitation for us to really tune in and align and watch, which is different than go with the flow. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, the, the wonderful author, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote the book called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, talked about flow as not being in more control of our lives, not clinging to control of circumstances, but also not surrendering to circumstances and just throwing our hands in the air and saying, thy will be done. It's actually, and it's not even in the middle. <laughs> That's the funny thing. It's actually a transcendence of that whole duality by letting go of the worry about the control. Mm. So flow is a psychological shift where we realize that we're worrying about whether we're going to get what we want or not and whether, we're, whether we should try harder or be more receptive. And instead, we surrender into the moment And sometimes the moment calls us to be more assertive and and stand up for what we want. And sometimes the moment calls us to be more receptive and listen to somebody else's idea. And we can't know if we just approach it intellectually. When we approach it with flow, we have to enter into relationship with the situation that we're in, enter into relationship with the people that we're, we're debating with. And without having a preconceived notion, we have to be able to listen I have this process called listen, uh, called the Lorax, which is listen, open, reflect, release, 
and then act. And so by doing all those steps, you listen, you're, you open, you're receptive, you, you reflect on circumstances, you release your attachments, and, but then you're also assertive, you, you take an action. So I think these are really, they come together. And I have a story about how synchronicity shows up and leads to flow. Is this a good time for a story? Sure, yeah. So I was, and this, I like this story because it's only a week old, and it just illustrates how common this is, I think, at least for me, when I pay attention to it. So, and it's now, it's now become my favorite story. So I was, I was pretty run down and exhausted, and I was heading to a, a workshop I had to lead across you know, the counties. So it was like a 50 mile drive. And I was single parenting because my wife was away for a couple of days. And so I had to get my daughter out the door, uh, fed and try not to lose my temper with her while I'm doing that and get her on time and then head to my things I was doing and racing around. And I got to my location and I was three hours early. So I was, because I had, a, had some other errands I did and then I showed up and I had to wait until the evening to do the workshop. So I was going to lead a workshop and I'm early and I'm, I'm excited because I get to sit there and uh, do some, catch up on some work. But I decided to take a nap because I'm really exhausted. I was just feeling really run down from all the stuff I've been doing. So I take a nap and, you know, 20 or 30 minutes later I wake up and I go to turn the car on and the car battery is dead. And this has never happened to me in this car. So I pretty quickly realize it's the car battery, and it's a funny. That's so. That's synchronicity number one. I noticed that I'm my my own battery's dead, and now the mm. the cosmos is like reflecting to me. I think of it like the synchronicity is narrating my life for me. <laughs> so I, my battery is dead inside, and I'm just trying to recharge it, and my car battery dies, sort of in response. And I. Then the, the second synchronicity is I noticed um, when I went to look at my phone to call the emergency road service that I had actually gotten a call from them from member services earlier that day. And I hadn't heard from them in, in years. And I, they left a message saying, your membership is going to expire today. We haven't received uh, your credit card on file has expired. So please call us and, and renew your, your membership. So I thought to myself, I better call them before I call the road service people. <laughs> uh-huh. I, called members, I called member services. I renewed my membership with the right credit card. And then I hang up the phone and made sure I was active and then called uh, to get the tow truck. So the tow truck came and charged my battery for me. But that was a synchronicity because I, I had gotten that call just that day and I needed that information to know that my, my membership was about to expire in order to use that road service that I needed that day, which I didn't expect. And so, so the this, this story keeps going. It, the next experience was realizing that this was actually a useful experience. So synchronicities, and this is a really key point, synchronicities can be difficult experiences. They can be obstacles. I see them as redirections. And what was happening for me at that time, I realized was I was feeling anxious about the workshop that night, about connecting with a bunch of people that I hadn't met and being able to to drop into a place of vulnerability and connection. And so what I was going to do with my time working there was like rearrange my slides and try and get it all perfect. But what life sent me Instead of time to sit there and rearrange my work and think about it more, it made me open the, the car door and step out into the world. And so I stepped out in the world, and I was in a neighborhood that I was unfamiliar with, waiting for the tow truck. And a person came out from the, from the house and asked if I needed help. And I said, well, I've got a tow truck coming, but I've got a workshop tonight in case you're interested. And she was interested. And so I gave her my card. She ended up coming to the workshop. And another person pulled over to ask me for directions while I was standing there on the side of the road. And turned out she was 
uh, also really interested in the workshop. She offered to get me a sandwich while, you know, to bring it when she came to the workshop. So to make the story short, both those people ended up coming to the workshop. I ended up using this time to have uh, a dinner with some of the people that I knew were coming to the workshop. And by the time the workshop started, I felt really connected to a lot of the people in the room. And so I had, I had healed in a way what, what would have been me showing up and trying to jumpstart a, a connection or, or try and you know, impress them with my, my presentation. And instead it was connecting with, with friends in a way that got more vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, there are many things that I appreciate about your story, but one of them you had mentioned, and I think it's worthy of just kind of stretching out here in the conversation a bit because you're talking about barriers and obstacles on our path and that that can be, I mean, I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive to most people. They'd be like, being in the flow, there's no obstacles, you're in the flow. But literally, you talk about barriers, obstacles, difficulties, and even pain, that it's a part of this process. Can you, can you say more about that, Sky? Because I think it's really important to, to ground that idea here. It was a great example, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Think of, thinking of the river example, because everyone come, brings to mind the flow of a river. You know, we, when we get in a river in an inner tube or something, there, it's not like there's no obstacles. We bump into obstacles as we go. And the challenge is keeping our feet downstream and our head above the water and using our feet to re- belay ourselves against the rocks that come and finding what might be the best path. But, of course, we never know if we'll actually make it to that part of the river or we might en- end up on a different part of the river. And, you know, the left side or the right side. And that's a real experience of active participation in the, in the experiences of the river or the experiences of life. So, and I think this really applies to our, our bigger picture. Like I was saying earlier, we can start right where we are. Often I have a, a big idea I want to try and accomplish, but what life is sending me is some step right in front of me that, that might even seem disconnected from the future step. It, I think we can rise to the occasion of things like that are really big in the world, like dealing with climate change or social violence or issues in our society that are really we're really struggling with, like racism and sexism. But we may not be ready as individuals to tackle that big issue yet. We may be at the point where life is sending us the things we need to learn in order to heal ourselves, in order to be more effective towards those bigger issues. So while we should act, absolutely take steps to solve and address the bigger issues like climate change right away, we should also be, I think, you know, in my opinion, I, I focus on doing, uh, paying attention to what life is sending me right now because I might want to help in this big way, but right now what life is sending me is an opportunity to resolve maybe an issue with my spouse or a way that I re- relate to my daughter that will really, really free something up in me if I can heal it. And when I can heal that and free something up in myself, it makes me more effective at the way I deal with my business or people that I meet. Mm. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about um, a traditional idea about synchronicity and flow is we're always looking for those wow moments, you know, we're looking for those big wishes, uh, you know, this, this 
abundance that comes into our life and, and what have you. And it's always nice to have those moments where you get a flat tire and someone comes along just at the right moment that never drives on that road that helps us. You know, there, there are those yeah. kind, but we, we don't normally think about it being for the benefit of us and healing ourselves. And then we're going to take a break here in just a minute. The other thing that you write about that we'll talk about more after the break that I think is so important for our listeners today is looking about looking at that alignment with the greater good. We're talking about healing the planet, healing the earth, healing big, huge issues like climate change and I think our listeners will delight in how you use living in flow for ourselves personally as well as these greater issues. So there's so much more to come, and I want to dig into that Lorax process just a little bit more. And and Sky, I literally have several pages of questions I know we're not going to get to, but I love this topic, and I know our listeners will too. So we're going to take a quick break right here. When we return, so much more with Sky Nelson Isaacs on Living in Flow. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric. You know, girls who grow up with confidence are more likely to reach their full potential. I've interviewed world leaders, CEOs, and celebrities, but my most important role has been as a mom to my two daughters, Ellie and Carrie. I've worked hard to encourage my girls to see the world as a place of endless possibilities. They know that believing in themselves will give them the confidence they need to persevere. Research has shown that girls with high self-esteem are better prepared to navigate life's challenges, not only in their teenage years, but well beyond. So join me as we empower the next generation. Together, we can help today's girls achieve their dreams tomorrow. This message was brought to you by the Alliance for Women in Media and made possible through the support of Dove and the Dove Self-Esteem Fund, working together to help girls reach their full potential. To learn more, go to Dove.com. Hey, everybody, this is Josh Groban. After so many years on the stage, one of my favorite things about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. Every year, billions of pounds of excess food go to waste, while one in five children may be left not knowing where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Thankfully, the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food and helps deliver it to kids in need across the country. But they can't do it alone. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. There's a natural resource that exists everywhere on the planet which could benefit all of civilization. Yet it's been largely ignored. That resource is women. At CARE, we found in country after country that empowering women is one of the fastest ways to help end poverty. I am powerful. I am powerful. She has the power to change her world. You have the power to help her do it. Call 1-800-521-CARE or visit care.org. 
There are so many ways to listen to Empower Radio. You can find us at EmpowerRadio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. You can also listen anywhere with the new Empower Radio app. It's completely redesigned and loaded with new features. You'll find all of our shows and podcasts under Programs, or listen to our live stream and our exclusive meditation channel. Just search Empower Radio in the App Store and download it for your smartphone or tablet. The new Empower Radio app. It's the easiest way to stay empowered on the go. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and also listen to it again. You could do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, if you'd like to work with me individually, one-on-one, I've opened up a few spots. You could find more information about that on my website as well. Just go to thedrjulieshow.com and look around at the tabs. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Sky Nelson Isaacs, author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. You could find out more about Sky and the book at livinginflowbook.com. Again, that's www.livinginflowbook.com book.com. And welcome back to the second half, Sky. There's so much that we've already um, talked about to lay this groundwork, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of digging in more of this big picture about flow. And one of the ideas that I really love about your book is the idea of what happens when we align our highest ideals and purpose with the greater good. And you mentioned this in the book, that with the higher ideals and purpose of the cosmos come into alignment with our higher purpose, amazing things do happen. And yet here, like, how do we literally, uh, I, I don't even know how to, like, word this question here because it's so big. So this idea that flow is occurring with great ease when we are aligned with the universe, when we're aligned with a higher purpose. You talk about balancing our personal good with the greater good. So let's start the second half off with that, and then we can dig into some of these other um, really meaningful ways. And then of course, look at the science as well, too. But what does it really mean to balance our personal good with the greater good? I think that we often, well, I certainly can get caught up in my bigger picture of you know how I want to change the way Congress works or change the way uh, we, we deal with environmental issues in my community. And I, I might even spend time focusing on my own life and my own kitchen and the waste in my own you know, commute to work and, and try and try and commute by public transit or something. You know, there's there's ways, but these are all physical ways in which we're trying to change the physical world. And what I think is also a really important aspect of this is what I call creating symbolic momentum. Hmm. Symbolic momentum is really like a cause and effect of meaning. So one thing that this implies, let me let me give you a brief picture of the of the model here. So if you can picture a tree, 
A tree is a natural shape that emerges when we study quantum mechanics because quantum mechanics is a science of what's happening in the world when we're not observing it. And what's happening in the world when we're not observing it is a branching into many possibilities. And so this tree is, is our own tree. It's our personal experience of the world and our, our life is branching on this tree. And there's more that could be said about that, but I won't, I won't go into the nuances. Think of it like an apple tree, though. And the apple tree has apples on some of the branches. And those are the branches that align with the, the choices that we're making. So as we go through life, we're moving along this tree, making choices. This is really just a, a theory of how choices work, the meaning of choices. And when we choose things, we, we define where the apples are on the tree or what the apples are really to begin with. So when I choose to go to the store and try and find a sprinkler head for my sprinklers, I'm placing on, on the branches, apples on, on those branches, which involve me having the experience of solving that problem, the experience of relief and satisfaction of solving that problem. And so any branch that brings me to the experience I want to have grows an apple. And synchronicities are m funny events that show up on the branches lower down, which lead to those, to those branches with apples, like the, like the, the cap for the sprinkler head showing up in my daughter's path and her handing it to me. So that synchronicity led to me solving the problem and having the, the delightful experience that I wanted to have of satisfaction. So what this also points to is this concept of symbolic momentum. As we move through this tree, we can end up moving towards parts of the tree that have more apples. We might go from a place where there's not a whole lot of apples, but as we move, if we move very intentionally, especially with actions that are bold and purposeful, we put ourselves in places of the tree that might be less probable, but we've taken bold action to get there. And now we're actually surrounded by a lot of apples. We haven't reached an apple yet. So we might not know that we're about to fulfill one of our goals, but we are much closer than we were. And so there's this idea that, and I think this applies to solving problems in the larger world, rather than worrying about whether I'm being active in the right organization or supporting the right candidate for a public office. I can let go of that worry about doing the right thing and I can look at where my heart is pointing and also look at circumstances. Where is it possible for me to get involved and do something that I'll be excited about? It might not be the candidate that I really wanted, but it might be someone else who I actually care about and think is a good candidate. Or it might be some, some other issue that's close to home. Either way, by, by investing my energy through actions in that ideal, I'm moving myself along that tree towards areas of the tree where there's lots of apples. So I'm building momentum towards the, the type of experience I want to have, which is feeling like the world is healing or making more sense politically or whatever it may be. And so with symbolic momentum, we, we can know that just by taking action that is in alignment with our own inner calling, it doesn't have to be the right action. It can be anything that is in that sort of direction that we will be building momentum for the cosmos to bring about synchronicities or unexpected situations which actually benefit the whole purpose of healing in the planet. Maybe it may not be your specific pet issue, but if you look closely, you might find that it actually connects the dots and, and does provide for healing. Yeah, there are a couple things when just listening to you that pop out and um, the one is that idea that it might not be what you thought you wanted. But it, it also reminds me of another idea in your book. And you, you say that 
when we experience synchronicity, what we're seeing are, are two events that are meaningful related, meaningfully related, but not that the first causes the second. That So maybe you can just explain that better than I can even craft a question here because as events are meaningfully related without being causal of one another, it talks about that tree of going down a branch. But can you explain that further? Because I think, I think that is so related to this metaphor of the tree, and I think it's important because a lot of times we think causally, we think cause and effect. Well, one of the difficulties that comes up when people try to understand consciousness is if they start from assuming the physical world exists primarily and then consciousness arises out of it, People have tried that for a long time, and there's no successful theory that really does that. Um, I've thought for a long time that consciousness comes first, and out of conscious experience, we have the physical world. The, the more subtle way that I see it now is, what do we really know? We really know that we have experiences. Nobody can argue with the fact that when you wake up in the morning, you start having an experience, and then you have another experience, and then you have another experience. Hmm. And you can describe those experiences with physics if you know the equations. You can also describe them as part of your consciousness, because we are, we are experiencing them, and that gives rise to the conscious awareness. So I think that to have a unif sort of unification of spirituality and the sciences, physical sciences, we need to start with what's at the foundation. And I think the foundation is what we absolutely, the only thing we really know, which is that we're having experience. And if you start with experience as the foundation, because quantum mechanics basically says if you don't observe an electron, it's in a superposition of lots of different possibilities. So the experience is what actually gives you a finite physical world. You know, when you do measure it, you get a specific outcome. So the experiences are fundamental. And if you look at experiences fundamental, then this tree that I was describing of all the possibilities is not a tree in physical space and time. Um, what's the best way to give this picture? <laughs> it's, it's a timeless tree. I was talking a little bit earlier about light being timeless. There's no separation between where I am right now and the, the information about the possible futures that I could because where would that information be? Like it's not, it's not above me. It's not away from me. It's not in the future. When you get rid of space and time altogether, there's this sort of omnipresence of that information. And so this tree is really accessible to us for right from where we are. Coming back to the idea of starting from where you are, right? So the tree is accessible to us right here, meaning all the future branches that have apples are accessible to us right here where we are. Mm. And the, the key final idea is that when we take actions in our, in our lives, we are imbuing those actions with whatever our purpose is. And, and specifically, I think, with our feelings and our emotions are, are underlying those actions. And they're interacting, in a way, with the branches of this tree, which represent the future possibilities, but they're not off somewhere in the future. They're omnipresent right here. And so we're interacting and essentially anticipating the experiences we want to have and reaching out to those branches of the tree and, and weighing down those branches with apples if they have the, the types of experiences we're anticipating in ourselves. Brilliant, Sky. The term omnipresent 
that's really helps to ground that whole idea. I, that was brilliant. Thank you. As soon as that popped in, it was like every branch is omnipresent. Mm-hmm. That really helps right. us shift out of that cause and effect thing. It's like, look at the myriad opportunities right in front of us all the time. That, ah, that was yeah. good. And, and I think of it as meaningful cause and effect. So it, seemed, it is a kind of cause and effect, but it's not causal. Yeah. The, the meaning or the, the, well, I said the meaning behind the choices that I'm making is what is a-causally, as Jung, Carl Jung would say, a-causally connecting to the experiences that end up unfolding. Mm. So it's very important to be aware of what we're feeling when we go through the world, which is why, comes back to why the healing process is so important. Because when we heal, we become clear on what our emotions are and what we're bringing to a situation, and therefore what synchronicities we are eliciting from the cosmos. Mm. I was going to jump into the science, but let's stop and pause with the feeling because the feeling piece is important. And you talk about that and and, and just even um, having this conversation in relationship to our healing instead of this abundant windfall that we're all out to get, you know, it's like becoming more whole, becoming more whole. We're, we're literally stepping into our abundance, but you do talk about the role of emotions and intention and even our hidden motives that inform our actions and obscure the responsiveness of the cosmos. So let's just pause before we go to the science and really presence the idea of emotions and intention. I have a, a reading. Can I give a brief reading about this? Sure. So I, I want to challenge us all for a moment to really feel into one of the hardest emotions that can be to feel, which is grief. And the, the passage goes like this. Our grief allows us to let go of what is holding us back from living fully authentic lives. Our sorrow and the outrage that may come with it can light a fire within us. We don't all need to become activists. We don't all need to follow an outward path of political or social change. Rather, allowing those authentic feelings into our hearts can give us the courage to be honest right here in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own places of work or worship. When we authentically feel our emotions, we are no longer willing to let life go by without speaking up into the microphone. We are also no longer willing to let external standards determine who we are. An important first step is allowing ourselves to feel the grief of loss, whether it's the loss of a relationship with a person we loved, the loss of ecosystems or creatures, or the loss of a profession, a way of life, or an opportunity. When we open to the full range of our experiences, we can also reconnect with our ability to feel joy, to feel gratitude for what we have, and to sense our power to direct our own lives. Mm. Sky, you are an amazing activist. Everything is so grounded in this bigger picture. I, I really appreciate that. I know you said when you were little that the meta structure of the universe was uh, much like me. You know, I was so curious and I want to know how things work. And it, it's so evident in, in your writing in the book. So thank you for pulling that back through again, because many of our listeners are evolutionary leaders and thinkers and change makers. And, and you're speaking to us, you know, about this idea of living in flow and, and affecting that greater cause. So, so let's, let's dig into some science before we run out of time. Uh, you know, the emerging new science and the cutting edge is like really exciting right now. We're seeing how science and spiritual wisdom are actually converging and, and becoming really helpful in reconciling this and really 
fun ways. So you openly write about some of the scientific challenges that face your hypothesis. And yet I see how the science behind the unified field of consciousness and the cosmic hologram that Jude Curvan is bringing through, the information at the center of the universe, all of this really completely supports your hypothesis. But, okay, so it's as if the old Newtonian physics and the classic mechanics don't really reconcile the new science. But let's talk about your experience and what are the issues you're seeing at this time? Because to me, it feels like just one more step and we all go, oh, aha, I get it. But if we're trying to hold an old worldview in the Newtonian physics and a new worldview, a new whole worldview, which is what living in flow is really about, is understanding that information and our intimate connection with all things, um, we we really can't reconcile it when we're trying to hold both worldviews at once, right? So the old science has to go. But give us your summary of this um, so we get a good understanding of what you're seeing with the science and the exciting new and what really needs to go. Well, one of the biggest obstacles which isn't actually that big of an obstacle anymore, but the, the, the scientifically with my work, quantum mechanics is really well established. Like there's no question that it's a, a good, excellent, excellent description of the world. It may not be the right, no, no description is ever the right description, but uh, it's, got, it's gotten much, much closer to being able, being able to predict the physical outcomes of experiments. And, and yet, the, the things it implies are things that we don't know how to f- see in the regular world. Like we know for well, well documented fact that, or experimental fact that particles like electrons in atoms occupy a, a combination or a superposition of different possible states. And it's only when a measurement on them is made, what we would call an observation, some people will call it an observation, that one of those states becomes real. But in your daily life, when you walk around the corner and bump into a friend, you assume that there's only one of them, right? There's, well, of course, I mean, even this language gets off kilter here. Yeah. There's not two of them in superposition. You've never seen somebody in superposition before. What's, what's confusing about this is that uh, the, the mathematics of quantum mechanics doesn't say that there's a difference between microscopic particles and macroscopic things like books and chairs and human beings. There's no mathematical difference. There are theories that have been developed to explain why we theoretically don't see that behavior in the real world, the everyday world, and we do see it in, in electrons. Things like decoherence theory uh, were postulated to show how this process, the, these superpositions, of these coherent superpositions decohere and become you know, unmeasurable when you get to large objects. But the fact is the mathematics doesn't predict that. The mathematics predicts that quantum mechanics is universal. It applies to everything at all levels. And so I've, a lot of my work is trying to say, look, the main obstacle we've had is trying to understand what quantum mechanics would look like in the world. And so we ha- if we want to really understand it, we have to look at what it would look like in the world and ask some difficult questions. And the answers that I propose is that you know, quantum mechanics is about what things are doing when you're not looking at them. So therefore, whenever you look at objects in your world, they are not in superposition, in superposition anymore. It's the same for electrons. When you look at an electron, it's not in a superposition anymore. So we shouldn't expect to see 
tables and chairs and people in multiple states at once because that's not what quantum mechanics tells us. What we should expect is that when we're not looking at the table or the chair or the person, that we have to be honest that we don't know, first of all, whether they're in a definite state or sorry, first of all, what state they're in. We don't know if the chair is sitting upright or have fallen over. We actually don't even know whether it's in a definite state at all. You can't prove to me that the chair is in a definite state unless you walk in the room and show me the chair. So it's, a, it's really a theory about being honest about what we can say for sure. And what we can say is always based on our experiences. And so the mathematics then is about when you walk around the corner and you bump into somebody by accident, and it seems like it's a coincidence, uh, you, you have to realize that that person before you bumped into them was in from your perspective, in many different possible states. And the one that fell into place in that moment was the one that aligned in, in some way with your path. And if you had made a different choice, it's possible that the cosmos could have had them fall into place on a different path and come to, your, come to a different place to meet you. And this is a process I call retroactive event determination, where the final outcome of somebody bumping into you on the, on the hallway is actually retroactively determined based on the choices you make. The cosmos has a, a very large number of ways it can adjust all the superimposed surroundings in order to bring you circumstances that are useful. Mm. I love and, that. Yeah. It's so intriguing. And it's, it's, it's just about, you know, all the, most of the world right now, you're not observing. You're not looking at it. So you can't say that it's, you know, so-and-so across the world is doing something definite. You assume that they are because every time you interact with them, you know, they are. But that's how, you know, if you've ever picked up the phone and found the person you were about to call sitting on the phone waiting for you, that's, that's pretty straightforward in this, in this model. Well, sort of. I don't want to overstate it. But when you pick up the phone, there's a lot of different times they could have called. And the one in which they do call at that time is one of those possibilities. And it can fall into place based on the time that you chose to call. Mm-hmm. So th- this points to us not trying to guess where the universe is going, but to realize that we're the center of those choices and that the universe is wrapping itself around our choices. Yeah, and you talk about it being responsive. Like uh, there's a quote that I love in the book, the qualitative experiences of life are like a language between a language being spoken between the responsive cosmos and the living creatures in it. And I, I love that. It's like... Um, yeah. I mean, this, speak more to that. This qualitative experience that we're having is really this continual dialogue with the cosmos, and we're co-creating all the time. We have about two minutes. Can you expand on that idea a little bit more? Yeah. The, the qualitative experience is an important concept because we're all having experiences, but when I think about or feel in my body the experiences I want to have in the future, which is something I can't help but do, right? I'm always... Yeah. thinking about or feeling into like, what do I want to have happen or what do I not want to have happen? And those are the things that are putting the apples on the tree and bringing, making those branches heavier and making them more likely to happen. But it's not the specific experiences I'm imagining. If I, if I tell you the word coffee, you'll have an experience of feeling a little bit of taste of coffee on your tongue and feeling a little vibration in your chest because your you know, coffee makes you wake up just by thinking about it. And, but that doesn't mean that you're then going to go and find this very cup of coffee that you pictured in your head sitting on the kitchen table. But it does mean that you would be more likely to run across 
a chocolate-covered espresso bean at work or um, maybe a dark chocolate bar that your friend hands you. you know, that the, the symbolic nature of that experience, the qualitative nature of the experience that you're trying to have, which is the, the rush of the caffeine in your body and the euphoria, that's the qualitative experience you're seeking to have. And the physical thing itself, the coffee or the dark chocolate or whatever it is, that's the, the symbolism that brings it into, into form. It's like the world is a metaphor for the experiences that we're having. Incredible. Sky, this was so much fun. And <laughs> I wish we too. could. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I like still have pages of questions because it's just such a topic I love. And I know many of our, our listeners do too. But first, thank you so much for for taking your time and, and explaining this. And and my apologies that we don't have three more hours. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great. And, uh, you know, I do give presentations and I lead group workshops and things. So I, I love working with groups of people to bring them closer to uh, experience of flow in their lives. Excellent. Excellent. All righty. Well, thank you for joining us. And I'm going to leave um, you listeners with the words of Sky here. The role of a change maker is to take small risks that catalyze the energy in a set of circumstances and see which synchronicities emerge. Sparking meaningful situations is a direct path to living in flow. The modern world is full of situations that can be ignited into moments of creativity and connection. Lighting a spark often feels a little risky, which indicates that we are putting energy into a situation to change its trajectory. We never know precisely what will emerge from our spark, but when we recognize potentially positive situations and step boldly into the unknown, we can trust that some kind of useful circumstances will unfold. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.